Hey, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. If you have a Bible, you can get on over there. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. We've got Bibles around the room if you need one. And if you don't have one at home, take that home and break it in. We'd be really excited for you to have that. Uh, you can also go there on your app if you got that. If you haven't gotten the Charles River Church app, make a point to get that. And we've got a Bible right on there as well. But if you have neither of those things, uh, we'll have a big glowing Bible behind my head here uh, that will have the scripture uh, for you in just a little bit. So last week we began this new teaching series that we're calling the Wilderness Series. And I'm telling you, God was moving last week. It was really, really cool. If he wasn't moving in anything, he was at least moving in my tear ducts. And so that was great. And so uh, thank you for uh, uh, just being a part of this series. And I just, I'm hearing stories that it's resonating in your hearts and lives. And so praise God uh, for that. Now, uh, the, the Wilderness Series is something we really felt God impressed on our hearts to walk through for the next eight weeks or so together as a church family. And, and really, what wilderness is in the Bible, you see it kind of in, in two veins. One, you see it as a geographical location, and then you also see it as just a distinct season in, in people's lives. And so as a geographical location, it, it's just a place in uh, biblical context marked by desolation, marked by drought, uh, dryness, and so it's just deserted, dry, rocky wasteland. Not necessarily your, your stereotypical desert, but it may be, and also just dry, rocky wasteland. And we see just a number of biblical figures throughout the Bible walking through uh, one of three wildernesses in uh, the biblical context. And uh, we also see uh, that wilderness in the Bible can also be a distinct season of somebody's life, oftentimes overlapping, walking through a, a, a literal wilderness. It's a season where your heart feels that way. Not just your body, but your, your heart feels dry or, or lost or, or wandering and, and, and things are hot and, and you're disillusioned and you're confused and you're uncertain and maybe just unclear as to what's next. It's that wilderness of the soul. And, and so today I want to look at a common factor in the wilderness of the soul. And let's just call it one of the scorpions in the wilderness, if we can. One of the scorpions in, in the wilderness. Just a, a, a little thing that, that, that just quietly crawls up on you and then it just gets you and it's just going to take you out. It's a vicious little ugly thing that we're going to look at this morning that was just going to mess you up. This scorpion in the wilderness is insecurity. It's self-doubt and you best look out. I'm going to call this sermon, Messy Hair, Don't Care. <laughs> messy Hair, Don't Care. You like my title? You, you, you like that? You, you like, like it? Was it funny? Do I, am, I, am I a good preacher? Is that okay? You, you want to hear? In, insecurity, right? That's what, that's what we're looking at. In, insecurity. Insecurity is this, this uncertainty. Insecurity is this, this anxiety about yourself. It's a, it's a lack of self-confidence. It's a, a doubt about yourself. It's a doubt about your worth. It's a concern about what everybody else thinks about you and, and your place in the world. It's a, it's, it's a feeling like I don't measure up. I, I don't stack up. It's, it's a feeling like I'm not enough. I don't have enough money. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not funny enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not gifted enough. It's, it's believing that I don't have what it takes. And some of you have been lied to and have been mistreated and have been abused. And now, many, many years later, you still believe that. And maybe others of you, you've made mistakes in the past, and it was your fault. It was sin. But now you're stuck there, and you, you can't get out of it, and you think you're broken, and you think you're, you're damaged goods, and you doubt that God would ever want to use you again. And then others of you, probably most of you, it's, it's just this ongoing life struggle, insecurity, because you, you, like all of us, we live in this culture that is just constantly trying to, to make you feel insecure, training you to feel insecure so that you will then go buy that product or so that you will then buy into this ideology or, or this method. And, and I, I personally have struggled with insecurity for most of my life. Probably like you, I remember first feeling it as a, as a middle schooler, junior high, anybody? That's when I first started feeling it. And uh, the hairstyle for guys at the time was long and parted right down the middle, the butt cut. And that was the style. And if you were really cool, you would get it shaved up underneath. 
And uh, if you ran fast enough, kind of like Dumbo, you would just start to flop and you could get a little bit of air. And so uh, the problem was the longer my hair gets, the curlier my hair gets. And so uh, it just wasn't working, right? I was in the wrong decade. That was, Afro was the previous two decades, and so it just wasn't good for me. And so my little 12-year-old self in between classes would sneak off into the bathroom and, and, and try to smooth out my hair and, and make it look right and nice and long and smooth and part in the middle. And just my curly hair would just go boing, boing, and just these little curly cues would just, it was, it was really, really not, not good at all. And I just looked painful. My wife loves to joke me about how I used to look back then. And that at that age, I also, I loved to play sports. And so I loved playing. I played baseball was kind of my, my thing. But I was also a musician. And you know, you can't do both, right? Apparently, you just couldn't, you couldn't be both. And so I would be whatever you wanted me to be for that day. That, that's just who I would be. And so I played piano in the talent show. My son's got a recital today after church, and he plays piano. And I, I would play piano in the, in, the, in the talent show, and people would clap and be like, they like that. Yeah, okay, so that's what I'm going to be. And I, I'd press into that a little bit more, and, and I loved that. And I, that became kind of who I was. If, if people like that, that's what I would, would be. And, until one day, I remember I was two innings late for a baseball game because I had a piano recital to go to, and I, I walked in late, and all these boys started making fun of me because I played piano, and, and I was supposed to play baseball, and so I decided, forget piano, I'm an athlete now, and so that's what I was going to be, I was going to be a jock now, and so I was really, really confused, and so one day I would wear my, my, my baggy paisley shirt tucked in with hair parted in the middle, and these big glasses I would call Colin Powell glasses, you know what I'm talking about? He, he's kind of with it now, but they used to be the big, you know, and, and so I, I had that going on, and then the next day I wear my Dikembe Mutombo basketball jersey with my fake Jordans on, and, uh, and I would leave the glasses at home, and I couldn't see the chalkboard, because whatever, if you want me to be an athlete, I'll be an athlete, but if you want me to be a piano player, I'll be a piano player. If you want me to be an astronaut, I'll be an astronaut. You just tell me what you want me to be, and that's exactly what I will be. I will dress the part for you. And so what we tend to do is in places of our lives where we, we feel insecure, we kind of create these security blankets, you know? We kind of create these strategies for security. And I just want to give you a few that I've been thinking about, some strategies for security. And, and maybe these will resonate with some of you. Maybe uh, you see it in your own heart and you need to do something about it. Or maybe you see it in some people in your own life that you love and care for and you maybe need to, need to seek to help them. And so mine was compensating, right? That's, that's what I would do. You like Josh, the, the band nerd musician? Okay, that sounds good. I'll dress the part. You like Josh, the athlete? I'll, I'll be that too. The worst was when the skater look was in and I decided that's cool skater I'll be a skater and so I started dressing the baggy jeans problem was I didn't even own a skateboard right but I look like a skater right and so you just kind of compensate and 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 that's what we do maybe the adult version of that is short guy big truck right that's kind of you know how it how it goes or or maybe it's it's loads and loads of debt however you're still buying brand new car nice big house or, or you're in debt but but you got to go get a nice fresh outfit so you can show up looking fresh and people think that you are something special and, and maybe that's a version or maybe it's just we, we compensate when we tell stories you ever notice this people will tell a story and, and you feel like yours what so you kind of got to exaggerate your story make it bigger make it better you went here well I went to Hawaii right man you went to the Poconos I went to Cabo San Lucas and we just, we just kind of do that. We just kind of compensate and we make ourselves feel better that way. Uh, another common uh, strategy for security, I, I would call it smearing. You've never been around that? Maybe you've done it yourself. You, you smear somebody. A lot of times it's subconscious. We don't realize that we're doing it. We don't want to hurt people, but we start to, to smear people. And so if I feel small, I'm going to cut other people down to my size and that'll make me feel better or at least average. Another strategy that people have is just laughing, you know? Some people just, hey, the, the philosophy is just laugh it off, right? They're always, always joking, and a lot of times the laughing on the outside covers up the crying on the inside, and they're just, they're just joking all the time, and maybe they're really, really hurting. Another common strategy is disengage, just pull out and just put up this facade of, I do not care. I'm not good at sports, well, they're a bunch of dumb jocks anyway. That's stupid. <laughs> I wasn't invited to that party. Well, it was a lame party anyways. I didn't want to go there. I don't care. It's that messy hair, don't care kind of mentality. People say, well, I'm not that shallow that I care about what I look like. I always got to fix my hair. And so messy hair, I don't care. 
until it becomes the end thing. And now you can go to CVS and you can go into the hairstyle department and you can go look at the, the, all the different products and there's actually a product called Bedhead so that you can look like you don't care even though you care. And so you did it in such a way, so I'm gonna walk out the door and look like I don't care, but you care, right? It's just, it's ridiculous. This is, this is what we do. And there's many, many more strategies for security. And maybe you have one of your own. But can I just warn you, they're lame games. They're just really lame games to play. They're, they're exhausting. They're, they're isolating. They have little reward. Maybe just a little bit of immediate reward, but then just no reward. And then it's kind of like chess. You always got to think a few steps ahead. So how am I going to keep up my appearances all the time? And it's just, it's exhausting. You can't let your hair down because you're always trying to put up this facade it's isolating it's frustrating and it creates this wilderness of the soul it extends the wilderness of the soul and it's time for that scorpion of insecurity to be stepped on so can we do that this morning last week i shared with you guys a little bit about my uh, wilderness of the soul and it was in this season that that middle school scorpion of insecurity turned into just a giant dragon (laughs) big enough that I could see it fortunately it got big enough that I could see it so that I could aim at it and shoot at (laughs) and and kill it a lot of times these little tiny scorpions grow into big big ugly monsters and I believe that perhaps God in his sovereignty and his plan sometimes allows it to become a big ugly monster so that you can finally once and for all kill that sucker Right? And so we need to do that. Oftentimes, that has to happen. Things have to get big so that we can put an end to it. Maybe your marriage has been struggling for years and years and years and years and years, and now it's flaring up, and it just seems like it is out of control. And maybe what is happening is a great opportunity for you to finally see it. So small and didn't seem like a big deal. Now you finally see it, and you can finally deal with it. And God is allowing you to address some things. And, and oftentimes, God will allow us to go into wilderness season so we can get out of the hustle bustle of everyday life and we can finally deal with some stuff. And so quietness and isolation and retreat can actually be a really, really good thing for you. And so it's time to take this scorpion out back and shoot it. I'm telling you, it's, it's free. It's time for messy hair, don't care, but really Really don't care. Not hair product, messy hair, bedhead, but really not care. I just don't care because I know what God says about me and it doesn't matter what other people say about me. Ephesians chapter five, verse one says it this way. It says, you are dearly loved children. Hear that? You are dearly loved children of God. My daughter has this shirt and it says, embrace messy hair. Love that. And that is, if you know her, that's just all the time. You know, she can't brush her teeth without her hair falling into her toothpaste. And it looks really, really bad. And, and so she has this uh, embrace messy hair. She does not care. And I'd like to think that she doesn't care because she knows just how much mom and dad love her. Well, a while ago, I, I unlocked my iPhone and I, I found this picture. Check this out. I was unlocking my iPhone and I found this. <laughs> and the girl had got a hold of my phone and just started snapping all these selfies of herself, and, and she clearly doesn't care how she's perceived. Double chin, upper left, who cares, right? Can't perfect the duck lip, who cares? Oh, that's my brother's head, not mine. Oh, who cares, right? She just, that's just, she, she re, I don't think she, I really don't think she cares, but that's not going to last very long, is it? Eventually, she's going to learn how to perfect that selfie, isn't she? You get it right, the perfect angle, so that double chin disappears into oblivion. It's just not even there. I'm perfect, and her hair's looking all straight, and her duck lips, right angle, so it just looks like she's like Miss Thang, right? And, and so she's going she's gonna to figure that out, right? She, she's going to figure that out, and we all kind of do. We all kind of have that thing that we, we like to, to, to help people to see that, that, that I look right. I've got it together, but really it's just insecurity but for now for now she's at this place where I don't care (laughs) I just don't care my mommy my daddy love me and that's what God wants for us God wants us to be secure in the the soul have a bedhead 
of the, the soul, secure in God's love for me. My Father in heaven loves me. He loves me. And, and I got stuff with my kids. But God, the Bible says, adopted you. Some people say, well, adopted kids, they can kind of be insecure. Well, yeah, but not really. They, they've been chosen. They, they're loved. They've been, they've been handpicked. How do, what a beautiful thing. God says, I want you. I love you. You're my child. You're not the leftovers. You're, you're my child who I chose. And so be freed up by that. Know that he loves you. He wants you. So you don't need them to love you. You don't need them to want you. You don't have to keep trying to be in their circle, be in their, their club. You don't have to try to measure up to, to their standard. You don't have to get the approval of mom or dad who, who treated you so poorly for some of you, unfortunately. You, know, you don't have to keep working even into your 40s, 50s, 60s for that sixth grade bully's approval. You don't have to do that because you've got the approval, the love of the only one who matters, and that is the Lord. And he says you are dearly loved children. So it's time to quit wandering in the wilderness of insecurity. Look at me at Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. We, we find Moses wandering in the wilderness, literally, but then also a wilderness of the soul. And we touched on his story a little bit last week. Moses was a, a Hebrew. He was born into slavery under Pharaoh. But like you, God had a really unique plan for Moses' life. It's not just Moses. He has a unique plan for your life. And when Moses was born, he was born into a season in the history of, of Egypt and the history of God's people, the, the Hebrews, where Pharaoh was committing genocide. He was just killing every single Hebrew boy. And so when Moses is born, his mother creates this little boat basket thing for him and puts him in it and hates to do it, but she, it's the only potential possibility. Maybe he'll live. Maybe he'll survive. He'll float down the Nile. And so she sends him down down the Nile. And by God's perfect plan, Moses gets picked up by this princess, Pharaoh, who's committing genocide. It's, it's his daughter. And she says, I'm going to take care of him. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure he, he's all right. And he gets to grow up in the palace. And he was aware, just like they were, that he was a Hebrew. And one day he would grow up as a, as a prince of Egypt. Kind of a sweet deal. You're not killed, now you're a prince of Egypt. But as he's living his life as a grown-up now, as a, as a prince of Egypt, he sees one Egyptian harshly treating one of his people who were slaves and treating him very poorly. And he looks to his right, he looks to his left, he sees nobody, and he says, you don't treat my people like that. And he kills them. But somebody actually did see it. And they told Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh gets flaming angry. I treated you so well. I saved your life. I spared your life. I raised you in the palace. And you're going to kill one of my people. And he hunts him down. And he tries to kill Moses. So Moses flees into Midian. Which is that eastern desert. And he goes out into the desert. To this wilderness. And he plans to spend the rest of his life there. Because he can't go back to Egypt. So he's got to hide out in the wilderness. And he, he's out there. He meets his girl. He meets this girl, she's a, a preacher's daughter, and, and he starts to work for her dad as a, as a shepherd, and he's, he's doing his thing, and they have a, a, a baby, Gershom, and, and they're ready to start the family and live out there in this kind of this nomadic wilderness kind of place, and they're out there, and, and that's the plan. I'm just going to live in the wilderness. I'm just going to embrace it. Life stinks. This is rough. I'm just going to, this is how it's going to be forever, and he's out there. But by the grace of God, he's not through with Moses. As we said last week, sometimes you get into a wilderness season and you had nothing to do with it. It wasn't your fault. Other times, it was your fault. You committed a sin. You started it. But God doesn't want to keep you there. And that was the plan for Moses. He messed up. He killed somebody. It was sin. He should not have done that. But God doesn't want him to be there for the rest of his life. God has a plan. He's not through with Moses. God's plan is to use Moses to save his people from slavery in Egypt. And so he's going to use a man who had a big opportunity. You were raised as a Hebrew under Pharaoh. You had a big opportunity. You completely blew it. But now I'm going to give you another opportunity. That's what we call grace. That's what we call grace, and we see it all throughout the Bible. That's the message of God from beginning to end is the grace of God. And God wants to use Moses. And so we find Moses now at this place where 
God's ready to use them. You've been in the wilderness. I'm ready to do something with you. I've been preparing you. I've been, been training you. But we find out here that Moses is straight up insecure. Messy hair, he cares. And here's where it's going to get exposed. Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush. Read with me, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near, but take your sandals off of your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So, recap. Moses hanging out in the wilderness, doing his work for his father-in-law, shepherding some, some flock here. And they get to the far side of the wilderness. He sees a burning bush, and he does a double take. He goes to look at it, and then as he looks at it, a voice from the bush, God says, Moses, Moses, it's God. Don't come any closer. Take your shoes off. You are standing on holy ground. I'm about to do something crazy, about to be fresh. It's going to be amazing. I am going to use you. I've got a plan for your life. You better be ready. I am God. And then he lists this line of patriarchs. He says, and now you're in that line of patriarchs. Say what? You're in that line of, of patriarchs. I'm looking at you now, Moses. Moses hides his face from God. And as he's doing that, he, he gets a couple things. God reveals, one, I'm aware that you and these people are suffering. And, and two, I'm going to use you to deliver these people. You're, you're going to save them. God says, Moses, I'm going to send you back to Pharaoh. It's a big task, scary task. You ready for the insecurity? Ready for the doubt? Here it comes, verse 11. But Moses, you like that? It's a big but. And I cannot lie. But Moses said to God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So God just shared with him this amazing plan, this awesome plan. And then, but Moses. Did your insecurity ever cause you to doubt God? I don't know, God. I, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. God says, I am going to use you. And maybe we say, yeah, God, I know you say you're going to use me. And I know, I've, re I've read the Bible. It's loaded full of just a bunch of boneheaded people who you use, but, but I'm the exception. You ever do that? I, I, not me, God. You can't use me. I'm not smart enough. I, I'm not funny enough. I'm not influential enough. I'm not big enough. I'm not uh, slender enough. I'm not, I'm not cool enough. I'm not hip enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not holy enough. I've made some big, big mistakes. On and on and on and on we go. And you maybe right now they're coming to your mind, your excuses, why you're not good, why God can't use you, your mistakes. How does God answer back? Look at, look at verse 11 again. God answers back to him. But God says back to Moses, verse 11, verse 12, he says, I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then Moses said to God, 
If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am sent me to you. So how does God answer back to Moses' but God? He says, but, but God, who, who am I? I mean, really, I, I, no. And, and God says, I'm with you. It doesn't matter who you are. I am, I am with you. I'm not leaving you alone. I'm going to make some signs that are, are visible to people that I am with you. One is that you will serve me on this mountain right here. This is the mountain where he has the burning bush. This is the mountain he's going to bring the people back eventually, get the Ten Commandments from God, get the law from God. You're going to free the people, bring them back here. It's going to be amazing. They're going to see it. They're going to know that I am with you. I'm with you. And then Moses does another but God. But God, who? Who is with me? Who am I going to tell them is with me? They're going to ask for some details. And he says what? He says the famous line. He says, tell them, I am who I am. Well, that helps God. Just tell them I am who I am. Tell them I am God. There is no one like me. There is no one like me. I will move in unprecedented ways. You can't box me in. I am God. I love how God responds to Moses. Moses starts getting insecure. And God takes his eyes off of himself. And he puts his eyes on him. I'm thinking that maybe, maybe some of us, maybe all of us need to do that today. Maybe that's why God has you at church this morning. You need to get your eyes off of self. You need to stop having your pity party. And you need to get your eyes on God. That's why he tells us, do not forsake doing this, this, right here, worship every single week. Don't forsake doing it because as we're singing songs, we're not just singing catchy melodies. We're fixing our eyes on God. We're singing truths about God. So you can see him and get your eyes off of self. And when you do that, things start to, to, to change. If you're a note taker, write this one down. When we ask, who am I? God answers with, I am. God, but God, but God, God, I can't, I mean, who, who am I? I mean, no, really. I am. And I am with you. God says, forget about who you think you are. Forget about who you think you are not. Think about who I am. I am the all-powerful God of the universe. And if I am with you, you are victorious. Romans 8 says it this way. We are, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. Stop thinking about who I am. Think about who he is. And when he gets up in your life and it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Right? Not Christ and you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are more than conquerors. I can do amazing things. If you will stop thinking about self, stop focusing on self, stop having a pity party, stop thinking about your shortcomings and realize that I'm with you if you trust in Jesus, if you've given your life to me and you've abandoned being the Lord of your own life and you just hold up, Jesus, it's all you, I'm giving it all to you. I am now with you. That's who you are because I love you. You've got all these ideas about how you don't stack up, you don't measure up, all the areas where you're, you're lacking. And God says, Moses, doesn't matter. I am with you. So get your eyes off of social media. Get your eyes off of the magazines. Get your eyes off of your coworkers. Get your eyes off of everybody else. Stop worrying about who they are and who you're not in comparison. And get your eyes on the Bible. And God says, let me show you who I am. And then I'll show you who you are when Christ is, is in you. So Moses' first insecure excuse is, who am I? And God says, no, it's about who I am. You are my chosen instrument. I've invested in you, so you're good to go. A couple years back, one of my little people, and I don't want to embarrass, because maybe this person will be a little older someday, drop him off at school, and uh, I got this new car, uh, a few months ago, because mine got totaled, and so it's straight gangster tent, and uh, I didn't put it on there, but it's pretty dark. I think it's illegal, and uh, so my, my son gets out of the car, drop off, 
and he takes a few steps, and he turns around, and he looks back into my gangster's tent where he couldn't see me, but I could see him, you know, and he does one of these and starts, starts fixing his hair in the, in the window there, and I thought, oh, man, he cares what other people think about him. Ah. But you know what? That didn't happen yesterday morning. That happened Saturday morning. Saturday morning, he comes downstairs, his hair's all fling, and he, he's just walking around doing it. He doesn't care. Why? Because he's with dad. It was, it was our family day. We're just hanging out together. We went on a bike ride. We played baseball. We played cops and robbers, good guys, bad guys. We had all kinds of stuff. He didn't care about touching his hair all day long. Why? Because he's secure with dad. He's hanging out with dad. He, he, is, he is good to go. And that's what God wants for you. He says, I want you to know I love you. You are dearly loved. You don't have to care about what other people think about you. Just get your eyes off of self and get your eyes on me and know that I love you and I have chosen you and you are my adopted child. I have a great plan for you. You are dear, dearly loved. The same goes for you, person in the room who is saying I'm the exception to the rule. You are dearly loved. If you know who I am, you will be secure in who you are. Moving forward, Moses comes up with another excuse. This time, not so much about himself, but about other people. And that's another way our insecurity manifests itself. This time, it's not about himself, it's about other people. Skip ahead now to to Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. Just for the sake of time, we're just going to look at his excuses here. So what he says, Then Moses answered, But... Behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. So this time, Moses starts talking about what other people think. In the end of chapter 3, Moses uh, is told by God that you're going to go back to the people and you're going to tell them all that I've said and who I am and and what I'm going to do and I'm going to bring them out of this place and into the land flowing with milk and honey. I've seen their affliction. I'm going to, I'm going to really, it's going to get, it's going to, it's going to be amazing. I've got a great plan for you. But what does, what does Moses say to God? He says, God, they're not going to believe me. Why, why would they believe me? Why, why? They're not going to listen. So Moses' first excuse was looking at himself, not God. His second excuse was looking at other people, not God. Anybody? Anybody guilty of constantly looking around at everybody else and not looking up at, at God? You look at the scriptures and they are just limitless options of people in the Bible that we could have preached on this morning who were just straight insecure I was thinking about it. There's, there's Rachel and Leah, Jacob's sister wives. Not a good idea. But he marries Rachel, the woman who he loves. And she can't give him any kids, so he moves on. He marries Leah, the woman who will give him children, which was a social status thing in, in that day. And God doesn't approve of that, by the way, but it makes for a really messy home life, huh? You got one woman who who she makes you feel worthy. She gives you status. You got another woman who you actually love. An awkward home, right? Very awkward home. And there's rivalry and there's, there's insecurity. And eventually they both get to have kids. It works out kind of crazy. And so they both have kids and they start to use the names of their children as arrows against each other, these, these insecure ladies. back. And obviously they've been put in a position where yeah, of course you're going to be in, insecure. And so for one of them, my, my son's name means, it's, you ever talk about what your children's names mean? And in this culture, a lot of times we just give, give them something cool. You know, I told you I had a friend named him Jean Dre. Like, oh, you French? Like, no, it just sounds cool, like a rapper kind of. That's, but you want your name to mean something. And so they're like, yeah, my child's name means my child's an honor roll student and yours isn't because he's a loser. Well, my child's name means my student could beat up your honor roll student. They just, they just do that game back and forth with the names of their children, and it's just insecure. Another instance of insecurity in the, in the scriptures is this lady named Esther. She thought her husband would not love her if he knew her past. That could be some ladies here today, possibly. Man, if he finds out, makes for a messy home. There's Jeremiah. God calls him and says, you're going to be a prophet. I got a big plan for you. He says, God, I can't do it. I'm just a kid. I'm just a, a youth. I, I still get this. I, I still get this. Fortunately, I got some gray hairs popping in now, so it's getting a little better. But man, people, you're a pastor? You're not old enough. <laughs> you're not 
You're supposed to be like on the brink of death to, to be a pastor, right? You have to barely like hobble up to the pulpit to be a, a, a pastor, right? What? He says, I'm not old enough. He was insecure. How about Peter? You know, Peter was probably clearly just one of the most insecure guys. I, Jesus, I will never leave you or forsake you. And then he denies Jesus three times. What? Jesus who? You don't want me to follow Jesus? No, I don't know Jesus. And then there's, there's James and John. These disciples, they send Mama on a little mission. They say, Mom, go, go talk to Jesus. Figure out who's going to sit at his right hand and his left hand in the kingdom and, and get me in, right? Just insecure. But there's this one story of Gideon. You know the story of Gideon? This guy is just really, really insecure. God finds him hiding out in a wine press. He's supposed to be threshing wheat, which requires wind. He's in this wine press where there's no wind, and so he's throwing it up and trying to create his own wind, I guess, trying to thresh wheat. It's just not working for him. He's hiding out, and God says, hey, coward, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to, to free my people. It's going to be incredible. And, and, and yet Gideon pulls a Moses, and he says, God, God, I can't, no way. How can I do this? I mean, that's Moses' first First excuse, he pulls Moses' second excuse as well. And in Judges 6.15, he says this. He says, behold, my clan is weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. You see what he did? He starts looking at other people. God, you want to use me? You can't use me. No, 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 no. I, my, my clan is the weakest of all the clans. And, and within my house, within the clan, I'm, I'm the least. I, I'm the least. And so he, he just starts looking at everybody else. And God says, I'm looking at you. I'm talking to you. Hello? Is God talking to any? God's talking to you right now. And you're going to play this game? And the game he plays is Asher. But, but there's Gad, and there's, there's Reuben, and there, there's Simeon, and there's Issachar, and there's, there's Naphtali, and there's, there's Judah. And he starts pointing to all these other clans. There's so much better options than, than me. And then he starts looking at his family. But, 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 but Uncle Bob over here, he, he's, he's really, really smart, always has a plan for things. My sister over here, she's beautiful. She'd be great. And just all, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you. And yet we do this all the time. We start looking around at other people. Everybody's better than me. Everybody's more qualified than me. And man, I'm telling you, we got these little comparison devices right here, don't we? Thank you, Steve Jobs. Been watching one of his documentaries. We can open it up at any time and get our, our, our quick fix, you know, compare ourselves to other people. Instagram, wow. Her family is just so perfect. I mean, just wow, beautiful, beautiful kids. I hate her. <laughs> She's kind of your friend, but you... Kind of hate her at the same time, you know? Wow, that was a, an exotic vacation. Doesn't quite compare to my water country. I think I hate my kids. Wow. You're just shooting up on this drug of comparison all the, the time, and eventually it will destroy you. Can I warn you? It will destroy you. Looking around. She's so cute all the time. Their family's so perfect. Their vacation was so great. Look at his home reno project. I mean, he's got the money to do that. Wow, look at that business venture he's on. He's so successful. We can just do this. And it's just, it's awful. And it is destroying your soul. I promise you, maybe quick fixes of something. I don't know. But it will destroy your, your, your soul. But take comfort. Your pastor never struggles in this. Wrong. I told you. My insecurity flared up when we started this church. First couple of years was my wilderness season, and uh, we had people in a lot of our other previous ministry contacts who wanted to get updates. They wanted to get reports, you know, and so they'd go, hey, how's it going in Boston? And then say, so how many people? Because in everybody's eyes, people equal success, right? Numbers equal success. How, how's it going? And man... It's not good. If I were to be really honest, I would have to say, man, it's brutal. I feel alone. I feel isolated. I feel like nobody cares. I feel inadequate. I feel like I don't measure up. I feel like I'm, maybe I'm not cut out for this. I feel like I know God called me, but I think he was wrong because this is not, no, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Self-doubt. And I'm ashamed to say it, but, but, but I would do the thing. I would, I would pull up the social media Sunday afternoon and and, and, and Pastor so-and-so over here in, in Florida would talk about, man, it's just blowing up. We saw 20 people give their lives to Jesus today. And, and it was just pff, deflating. Comparison kills. I mean, it, 
It kills. And there's another thing that we'll do. Another thing we'll do is, is for every person that we can find that's, that's doing better than us, you can find people who are doing worse than you. And so I could flip over here and say, man, I know this one guy. And, yep, still struggling. And I mean, it's ugly. I, I just confess it. I've already dealt with, with the Lord, but I'll tell you, it made me feel good to see that it wasn't going so well over there. It's bad, isn't it? But do we do that? Some people in relationships will start dating somebody that's a total loser because for them it makes them feel better. They want to be a hero. Anybody? You ever done that? You ever seen that? We compare and it, it kills. It, it kills. It kills a lot of things. It kills our soul. It kills our compassion for people. We want to be happy when people see God move. We want to be happy for people's victories in our lives. We see but man, comparing will just kill that in you. You can't be happy for people. We just use people to make ourselves feel terrible or to make ourselves feel better. And so I just got to a point where I said, this is ridiculous. This is ugly. I just shut down social media for a while. Maybe you need to do that. For some of you, that's, that's drastic times right there. But it might be the best thing you ever did. It might be the freeing thing you ever, most freeing thing you ever did. Delete Instagram, delete Snapchat, delete Facebook. What am I going to do with my life? (laughs) You might find it freeing. You got to do whatever it takes. It may be inviting people in, giving people permission to speak into your life. Are you seeing something in me that I feel in like there's this, that just let me know. You can invite people in. So listen, if you're a note taker, point two of three. This comparison kills. So kill comparison. I mean, it will kill your soul. It will kill your compassion. It will kill your ability to be on the mission of God. So kill it. Scriptures say, listen, don't ever give the devil an opportunity, a foothold in your life. And so if it's Instagram, man, get rid of it. Kill it whatever it may be, kill it. One more excuse from from Moses that points to his insecurity. Write this down. Weak people reach weak people. It's one of the most beautiful things about the Bible. Read with me his last excuse, getting down to verse 10. One more but. It says, but Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord. I love that. I don't know why that's funny to me. Oh, my Lord. I am not eloquent. Either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. God, why would you come to me? Because you know my past. I mean, I'm pretty lame. I'm not eloquent. And then you even showed up to me. And it's not like you showed up and all of a sudden I'm just eloquent all the time. I'm still, I mean, it's just consistent. I'm a bum. I can't talk. I can't speak. I'm not eloquent. I, 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 I'm just, a, I'm a mess. God, I stutter. That's what it means, slow tongue. He couldn't, he couldn't get out words. Moses, do you not think that God knows this? God knows this. God has come to you. And we read this all through the Bible. God loves using underdogs. He loves it. He loves using the weak ones. Moses killed a man. Moses stuttered. Gideon was a coward hiding out. David was the small, ruddy one, the Bible says. Ruth was, she becomes the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. And she was this, just this poor foreigner, not of the people of, of Israel. Mary was a peasant from a podunk small town. She's a young little girl. Peter was completely unfaithful. He completely blew it. Paul was a stinking Osama bin Laden. He murdered Christians. And, and then he was a boring preacher. Remember that story? He's preaching late into the night and some kid sitting on the windowsill and falls out of the window and dies. So next time somebody says, so how's it going at Charles River Church? Josh, tell me. I get to say, well, pretty good, except that one guy. I killed him. My preaching was so bad. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 9 and 10. He says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses 
so that the power of Christ may rest on me. I don't want my power. I want the power of Christ to rest on me. And I am content with my weaknesses, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. I'm not going to boast in my skills. What does he mean? He means, man, I am, I am weak. But that's all right. Because when I'm weak, God can show up and show off. I would love that. You can boast in your weaknesses. Now, if it's sin, we don't boast in our sin. That's not what the Bible says. But there are areas where we just, maybe we don't compare. We don't, we don't measure up to, to what other people think would, would be the person that God would choose, but God never chooses the obvious person in the Bible. And you think it'd get just knocked into our heads, but it's just over and over and over. People are moved not by perfectly polished people because they can't relate to those people. God is just, this whole series largely was birthed out of God just burning in my heart. You've got to be transparent. You've got to let people know that you stink too. But I'm good. People are moved when weak people share their story. I already had some people come to me today say, I want to share my story. I got some stuff I got to share. I'm like, that. yes. People are moved when weak people say, I had the grace of God. I'm just like you. I'm no different. I'm not up here and you're down here. And let me tell you how you can get up here. It's I'm here and you're here and we're both weak. And God has done this amazing thing where he comes within us. The Holy Spirit of God comes within us and he strengthens us. And so we boast not in our strength. We boast in our weakness. And then the power of Christ will rest on you. It's so flipped from what our culture tells us. So flip from what our culture tells us. Culture tells us go for the strong people, go for the best people, go for the qualified people. And our faith is so countercultural. It's amazing. It's so unique. It's so distinct. It's one of those circumstantial evidences as to why I just know that this is true. Every other faith system says work your way to God. And the Christian faith says you can't. It's, it's, it's vain. It's tiring. God has come down to you. God has filled you and you can be strong if it's Christ in you. And listen, weak people are going to reach weak people. Imagine if Moses hadn't been running for his life. And he goes to the people after a vision from God. He was down in Cabo and a burning bush showed up and it was God. And God said, all right, go back to the people now. He hadn't been running from God. He was still living in the palace. He didn't make any mistakes. He was still this great Moses guy. There may have been a little bit of distrust from the people. How do we know Moses? You've been hanging around with Pharaoh. You've been living there. How do we know Moses? that You're not double-crossing us right now. But because he had failed and messed up and been running and been gone for some 40 years, now suddenly he comes back and says, head, head held low, not prideful, marching, but... Uh, God, God, he's believable now, isn't he? God uses your weakness to reach others who are weak. Weak people reach weak people. And I praise God for my weaknesses, for my, my struggles. Some of them sins. I don't praise God for the sins, but I praise God that God can use me despite my sin. I pray that God will use it to to move in, in lives of other people. I'm telling you, when you get transparent, you get real, God loves to, to show up. Weak people reach weak people. This entire morning has just been so countercultural, hasn't it? Culture of fuel your insecurity or, or plug things in to make yourself look so great and prove to people your worth. And God says, no, 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 get your eyes. Get your eyes off of self. Get your eyes on me. When we ask, who am I? God responds with, I am. The culture will also tell us, listen, just keep looking at other people. Figure out your worth and slide into the caste system. And we see this morning, comparison kills. It just destroys. So kill it. And we've also seen that though the world says strong, great people are going to do great things, God says, oh, I can use 
I can use losers like you and me. <laughs> Aren't you glad about that? Weak people reach weak people, so boast in your weakness. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're not the hope of glory. I'm not the hope of glory. Christ in me is the hope of glory. And so let's humble ourselves and say, God, I, but, 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 but I'm, I'm no different than Moses. I'm insecure. I got some struggles, but I want to fix my eyes on you. I want to recognize my shortcomings, my weaknesses, and, and I would just ask you to, to use me for your purposes. Would you guys close your eyes? Close your eyes for just a minute if you would. We do this every week together just to, just to kind of deal with what's going on, to respond to the scriptures. And some of you this morning, God is stirring you up and you need to respond. And so how, how do you need to respond this morning? Ask yourself that question. Some of you, you are not opening your Bible. And so your eyes clearly are not on God. And if you were just to do a simple test of time, time of eyes on God and time of eyes on everything else, that, man, it's way off. Get your eyes on God. Maybe you need to confess to God that. Others of you, you've just been playing this comparison game, and maybe God just wants to free you up this morning. Say, I'm not, I'm looking at you. I'm talking to you, he says. I've got a plan for you. Live in that. Enjoy that. And then others of you, you've been in a place where you thought, well, God can't use me because of shortcoming or a struggle, past failure. And God says, no, no. You're the perfect candidate. Find hope, find purpose in that. And then if there's anybody in here, you've never given your life to Jesus. Oh man, I plead with you right now. Give your life to Christ. He came to earth in this humble, humble form. God of the universe stepped out of his throne in heaven and became a man and lived in our shoes. He knows your pain. He knows your wilderness. Tempted in every way, but he was without sin, not deserving of the wages of sin, which is death. And yet he died. He laid his life down for you. So that if you would trust in him and his sacrifice for your sin, and you would bank your life and your eternity on what he has done, and in faith, say, I want to follow you, Jesus, forever, you can be made right with God. So if that's you, you've never given your life to Jesus, maybe right now as we sing, as we respond, you just call out to him. The Bible says if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved from eternal separation from God and saved to new life, new purpose, a mission, and eternity with him forever. God, we thank you for these amazing truths. Free us up this morning from insecurity, from playing these goofy world games that don't satisfy Help us to respond accordingly. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.